Wow. I tell you what, during that song when Chris was doing the spoken word, I was ready for Easter right here. You know what I'm talking about? I thought we were going to bust out and have church. <laughs> Almost grabbed him and said, Chris, do you have some preach left in you? Why don't you go ahead and do my part today? Hey, we're glad you're here. Welcome. Happy Easter. Um, I want to welcome those of you, too, who are um, in another campus. I think the West Campus and I think the Asheville Campus are, are online with us right now. Uh, I want to welcome you guys, also those of you who are worshiping on the internet with us. Uh, we're glad that you are, too. What a wonderful, wonderful weekend. I love this weekend. This is our Super Bowl. This is where we acknowledge that Christ is the champion of everything. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a moment in your life, and I'm sure you have, when you just got the feeling that you were made for more? You ever had one of those? It can be like a bummer moment, you know, one of those times when things aren't working or you're in a place where you never thought you'd be and you just have this thought, you know what, I am made for more. Or it can be the other end of the scale. It can be somebody who, who pulls something out of you and you realize, maybe you didn't even know before, that you really are made for more. I had one of those. I've had several of them in my life. But I had one of them uh, when I was in school. Um, I, I started wrestling when I was in the fifth grade. And uh, I think we've got some pictures up of me wrestling. That's not the fifth grade. I didn't shave in the fifth grade. But uh, in Colorado, I was wrestling, a big sport in Colorado, and I had a dream of being a champion. You know, every little kid does, and I'd wrestle my pillow at night, and uh, I just knew that uh, someday, you know, someday I was going to be good, because I was not good at first at all. In fact, uh, there were two coaches that stood out in my mind. Uh, one was the assistant wrestling coach, who was also the football coach and the baseball coach, as well as the driver education teacher and the PE teacher. Anybody remember a guy like that? This guy was a, uh, he re seriously, he was a drill instructor in some part of, you know, the, the armed forces. And uh, he was real, real, real big on enthusiasm, but not really a high IQ. Do you understand what I'm saying? And um, so he was the PE, PE teacher, PE coach. I loved physical education, you know, it was a time when you could kind of let loose and whatever, except for one period uh, every year we'd have a, a season or a session when we would do square dancing, learn square dancing. Anybody remember that? Anybody else have that? You know, do -si do swing your partner round and round, all that. Well, here was the problem. Here was the problem and why it was such a problem to me. It wasn't that I had a problem with square dancing. You know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a middle school kid, you know, uh, in the eighth grade, uh, raging hormones, and I could legally touch a, a woman during this time. So I thought that, that would be cool, but I thought that was funnier than it was. It didn't quite come out right. So, so anyway, so, so my dad was a pastor, okay? And it was a great church, but it was kind of legalistic and very, very strict. And uh, dancing was one of the things we didn't believe in. Uh, in fact, here's how big it was. We didn't believe in premarital sex because we thought it led to dancing. Okay, that's, that's, that's what a big deal dancing was. And so, and so what I had to do, <laughs> some of you like that. I've told that before. You know that, but it's funny. Um, so here's what I had to do. During square dancing, of all things, I had to bring a note from my dad 
to the teacher that excused me from having to square dance. And they didn't let me like go to the library or something. I had to go over and sit down on a bleacher seat while all my friends are just making fun, you know, and just, eh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And to make it, to make it worse, uh, Mr. Drill Instructor, um, when I was in the eighth grade, he, he said to me, he said, uh, he said a lot of things. I won't say what all he said. But he made fun of me. He called me a sissy, basically, or several versions of that word. And he said, you'll, you'll ne- you, you know, you, you want to be a good wrestler? He said, you, you don't have it. If, you can't, if you're not even man enough to square dance, <laughs> think of that. Um, you know, you got to sit out and you go to this church and all this kind of stuff. He said, uh, he said y- you'll never do anything. So I was just, I mean, embarrassed, embarrassed, embarrassed. He was the voice of less in my life. And then there was another coach. And the other coach was the varsity wrestling coach. And my first season on varsity was in the eighth grade. Now, it wasn't a good season. Uh, I got beat all the time because everybody was, you know, several grades older than me. But uh, I I was there, and I was happy to be there. And I got better as the year went on. I think I won two matches, and our school didn't win any. In fact, we'd never won any matches in the history of our school. It wasn't all that old. It was a fairly new school, but, uh, and, and they were kind of trying to build a program, but never, ne- never won at all. And so one of the last matches of the year was against the best team in our conference. And our coach, the head coach, set us down, and he went through a game plan. He always did this. And, 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 but this one, he said, you know what, guys? He said, this is what's going to happen tomorrow. He said... Uh, he said, we're going to do this, this, and this. And then he said, we're going to come to the 119-pound match. That was about a ton ago. And they, he said, their guy's undefeated. And, he, and he's an upperclassman. And he said, Surratt is going to beat him. And he said, when he does, it's going to demoralize him. And everybody's going to wonder what's going on. We're going to sneak up on him. We're going to win this thing. We're going to, yeah, we're going to win this thing. Until I got to thinking about Surratt, who I knew personally. And uh, who had won two matches all year. He was getting better, but he wasn't all that good. And a coach came around after the practice. He put his arm around him. He said, I believe that. He said, I've been watching you. You got it in you. You can do it. And so that night, when I was trying to sleep, I heard both of those voices. The voice of less, the voice of more. The voice of less that said, you'll never amount to anything. And the voice of more that said, you can do more than what you even think that you can and so, sure enough, the next day, it came my time to wrestle. And with the, the stands chanting, Rudy, Rudy. Well, not actually. <laughs> Rudy hadn't happened yet. But, uh, but I won. I beat this kid. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's really good. I wasn't going to tell you the story if I lost. Come on. And so I beat this kid, and we won the match. We beat this this team, its first match in the history of our school. Next year, I won the championship that I had dreamed about winning as a ninth grader. And um, in, uh, in wrestling, you have brackets that, um, it's just like you're filling out brackets for, you know, the whatever, the, uh, final, uh, the March Madness. Well, in wrestling, you have brackets for every weight class, and if you win a championship, you get the brackets to bring home. I've still got them. But the next day, I took those brackets into Mr. Drill Instructor's class, I said, look at this, buddy. I guess you were wrong. Then I got saved, you know, and so it was, it was good. But, 
One was the voice of less, and the other was the voice of more, which called me out to more than I thought that I had inside of myself. We all have glimpses of more at some point in our life. It may be an extraordinary event like that where, where somebody believes in you and you do more than what you thought was possible. Or it could be just the fulfillment that comes from doing the right thing. I know I, I hear people um, around here a lot that will either serve in the church somewhere or in the community or in the world, and we challenge everybody to do that. And uh, occasionally somebody will say to me, you know, when I was doing that, I felt, I can't, ha- I can't even explain it. I'll say, like the smile of God. Yeah, like the smile of God. And I felt like I was created for more. I was created for more. But here's what happens. Is that we have these moments of more, but we tend to settle back into routines of less. And what we do is we listen to another voice. We listen to a voice from the past. We listen to a voice of failure. We listen to a voice of less. And, uh, and so I was, I was thinking uh, on this Easter weekend, it would be a great time to talk about where the disconnect from more began. See, we're disconnected from more. Where did, where did that begin? See, Easter came to fix, to solve a problem that started way before any of us were here, most of us at least. In Genesis chapter 3, we read in the Bible that our connection with God, with the voice of more, was broken. See, in the beginning of time, the Bible says that God created Adam and Eve, and they were in the garden, and they were connected. They were connected with one another. They were connected with God. They were connected with the environment around them. They would walk with God, and they would hear the voice of more, the voice of possibility. But in Genesis 3, there was a different voice that came to them. And it wasn't the voice of more, it was the voice of less. Now, it sounded like the voice of more, and oftentimes, the voice of less can sound like the voice of more. And it kind of sounded like that. But there was a subtle difference. It questioned the authority of the voice of more. Did God really say? Is God really on your side? Does God really care? And it brought about confusion, and oftentimes that's the way to differentiate between the voice of more and the voice of less when they sound similar, is the voice of more brings ongoing peace, the voice of less, even when it masquerades as more, brings confusion, confusion, and it brought confusion. And so Adam and Eve are in this tug of war between good and evil, between more and less, and ultimately they choose less. And there's a disconnection. And then throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible, we kind of see that same thing going on. We see this this tug of war, this, this back and forth, and occasionally we'll see somebody that steps up and listens to and acts on the voice of more. And for a season, we'll see people connected to one another, connected to their environment, connected to God as they listen to the voice of more. But ultimately, they walk out of God's favor, they respond to the voice of less, and they lapse back into disconnectedness until Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus comes in the New Testament, and we, we see a, a, a man who walks in more all the time. Now, he has a struggle with less 
In fact, early in his ministry, uh, he's taken into a desert and he's tempted by the voice of less, which sounds like the voice of more. Hey, I can give you this. You can have it all. But it's a confusing voice and it questions the voice of more and the voice of God. And Jesus doesn't listen to it. He listens only to the voice of more. And people around him see that and sense that. Here's someone who has a different authority. Here's someone who teaches differently. Here's someone who loves differently. Here's someone who listens and acts on the voice of more all the time. And then at some point in his ministry, he makes an incredible statement about his mission and how it involves us. And it's found in John 10 and verse 10. On your outline sheet, it's there. It'll be on the screens, in the campuses. Let's read it together. Okay, let's everybody just read out loud together. He said this about his mission. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What did he say? He said that he had come so that they may have life. Who's they? They were the ones that were listening to him. They were the Christ followers. But not just them, they were the Christ followers down through the ages, and they're the Christ followers who are gathered here and in 51 other services listening to this voice of more. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. If you were a Christ follower, you were made to experience life to the full. You were made for more. You were made to overcome negative habits. You were made to be emotionally healthy. You were made to make a difference in other people's lives. You were made to walk in healthy, loving relationships. You were made to receive answers to prayer. You were made to live in confidence and not in fear. See, that's the life you were made for. And why would anyone not want that? But here's the problem. Very few people live a life of more. Very, very few. And so here's the question. If you were made for more, why do we settle for less? And the answer is kind of obvious. It's as obvious as the very first story that I told you in the Old Testament there's this spiritual battle. There's this behind the scenes. You can't even see it, but it's very, very real. It's this spiritual battle going between more and less. It's the same battle that was in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of the time. It's the same battle that was waged for Jesus' soul in the Garden of Gethsemane on a Thursday night over 2,000 years ago. As he was in prayer and the voice of less was there and the voice of more was there. And he said, Father, if, if, if I could, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let it go. But then finally, more wins. And he says, not my will. I will come under your authority. But it looked like less one. Because on that good Friday, more was crucified. Hope dies. And less triumphs over more once again. But on the first day of the week, the story changes. And I want to read you the story. It's Matthew 28. You guys have heard it before. But I want you to listen very, very carefully because I want to make some application about the voice of more and about the voice of less in your own life. Matthew 28, in verse 1, it says, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning. I like that. There was a new day dawning. They didn't even know it. 
They didn't know it. The ones who were going to the tomb didn't know it was a new day, but there was a new day dawning. And you may not know it in your own life. It may not feel like a new day. It may feel like less has won in your family. Less has won in your life. Less has won in your job. Less has won in your finances. But there's a new day dawning. It says there was a new day dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. And then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. And so the women ran quickly from the tomb. It's exciting. Jesus isn't there, but the next verse says, they were very frightened. (laughs) But they were filled with joy at the same time. There's this whole thing, this pull going on. They rushed and they gave the disciples the angel's message. Now, a lot happened between the time that we have this scene right here when Jesus rose from the dead and when he ascends to go to the Father. There were several events. The book of John and the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Mark kind of set it up. They tell different stories about what all went on. But in the book of Matthew, he just kind of goes from, just barely covers the in-between events, and he jumps quickly at the end of chapter 28 to the last instructions of Jesus. They're huge, huge words. They're the marching orders. They're the commander's intent for the next generation of Christ followers. They're, 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 They're God's word to you and I, to every one of us. It's his last recorded words. And so here's what he says. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You were made for more. You were made for more than what you're experiencing right now. I don't care who you are. You were made for more. So what were you made for? I think from the words of Jesus that that echo throughout eternity, we can get it. We can get what we were made for. Let's just kind of break them down. You were made, first of all, to submit to the authority of Jesus. Jesus said, I've been given all authority. He's saying, I won. I won, not just a wrestling match, not just a final four in basketball, not just a world championship. I won everything. I won this spiritual battle for the souls of men. I won. I have all authority. And what he wants us to do is to submit to and come under the the authority of Jesus. That's what you were made for. But that's a scary thought. 
because the word submission or submit is kind of creepy, okay? You may have been in a relationship sometime when somebody demanded submission. You may have worked for someone who demanded submission. It left a bad taste in your mouth. It's just, it's just, it's not something we want to do. I don't want to submit. I mean, that doesn't sound good. I want to define it for you. Submitting to the authority of God is simply believing the voice, the words of Jesus, over any other message. When I submit myself to the authority of Jesus, I'm saying, I'm going to listen to his voice. I'm going to believe his voice over any other voice. Now, you're going to have all kinds of voices. All kinds. Some of us are, it's kind of cool, we have all kinds of voices in our head, you know. But the, mo- mo- most of us, we've got, we've got voices everywhere, and you're going to have all kinds of voices. And, and what I'm saying is to submit to the authority of Jesus is just simply to say, I'm going to cut through all those voices, and I'm going to listen to one. I'm going to listen to one. Now, here's the truth. Throughout the course of your life, dozens of people, like that coach, the first coach for me, will tell you what you can't be. They will tell you what you can't have and what you can't do. Listen to me. Jesus will not be one of those voices. Because here's what Jesus says to you. Jesus says, you are loved. You are loved. John 15, 9 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. He says, you're loved. He says, you're chosen. You're chosen. You're not an accident. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Before the foundations of the earth, I chose you. You just responded to me. You are loved. You are chosen. He says, you have a purpose. John 15, 16. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. He's saying, your life's going to matter. I have a design for you. Your life's going to produce lasting fruit. It's not going to just pass away. You matter. That's what Jesus says about you. He says, you are forgiven. He says, you are forgiven. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Listen, when you blow it, anybody here ever blown it? Today? Okay. When you blow it, the voice of less says, it's a big deal. You've blown it before. You'll never get better. God doesn't care about you. I mean, God's disappointed in you. I mean, how many times have you gone to God for forgiveness? When are you going to grow up? When are you going to get it right? You're a failure. That's what the voice of less says. But the voice of more says, no, you are forgiven. If you confess your sins, I will, I will forgive you, and I will tell you that you were made for more. Now, you can listen to the voice of less, or you can submit your life to the voice of more. Which coach are you going to listen to? See, you were made for more. You were made to submit your life to the authority of Jesus, to hear his voice, not all the other voices. Here's something else Jesus tells us. He says, not only are you submit to the authority of Jesus, but you can participate. You were made to participate in the strategy of Jesus. Here's what he says. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. You say, well, that's, you know, Greg, that's your job, isn't it? Well, yeah, but it's yours too. I don't know how many times we've talked about this. We're on this thing together. We're all full-time ministers. I'm paid to do my job. 
I'm paid to be good. You're good for nothing. Okay, that's the only difference that separates us. Okay? Most of you volunteer. But you are important. You are key to the strategy of Jesus. See, you, you go, well, Greg, you know, I was kind of surprised at my parents, you know. <laughs> they say uh, babies take nine months, but the first one can come any time, and I did, you know. And uh, that was supposed to be funny. Um, or I was kind of a surprise at the end of my, you know, my parents had my brothers and sisters and there was me and they always told me that you, you were our little surprise. Well, you know what? There, there, you may have been a surprise to your parents, but not to God. There are unplanned pregnancies, but there are not unplanned people. You are a part of God's plan. God has a role, a significant role for you to play in his redemption plan. And here it is. Jesus said, go and make disciples. You say, oh, I can't do that. I mean, that sounds really big. You've got to go to seminary. Really? Let me tell you what that means. It simply means, go and be my disciples. Go and make disciples. It means that you be the voice of more. We submit ourselves to the voice of more, and then he says, go and be the voice of more. You go and be the voice of more in other people. You go and teach other people to hear the voice of more. Teach them to cut through the chorus of less so that they can hear the voice of the Father. And then you be the voice of more. That's what it means to go and make disciples. Now here's the question. How are you doing with your assignment? Are you intentionally the voice of more in people's lives or are you accidentally the voice of less? In others' lives. See, we can all think of a teacher or a coach or a pastor or a parent who is the voice of more in our lives. Here's, here's my thought. What if we all did that? What if there's going to be about 25,000 people that gather this weekend to hear this message? What if all of us signed up? I'm going to come under the authority of the voice of Jesus. And I am going to be the voice of more in somebody's life. I'm going to make a difference in somebody's life. See, when I think of the voice of more, I think of Colin Davis who goes to this church. Uh, the kids in uh, kids' church uh, know him as Mr. D at the Long Point campus. He served for 15 years as a volunteer in children's ministry here. Think about that. 15 years. In other words, he has been the voice of more to thousands of kids over 15 years, the voice of more. I think of Carol Reap, a greeter in our Greenville campus. Over six years, she's consistently been the voice of more every week at the door. Everybody who walks in the door gets a smile and gets a little ray of sunshine of Jesus. She's the voice of more in a world that has a chorus of less. I think of Tamilix and Melissa Copeland, who are a part of the uh, Dream Center campus. They're involved in the E3 mentoring program. There's nothing better going on than the E3 mentoring program. What they did is at the Dream Center, um, they discovered that the graduation rate was less than 40% in the school. They said, we're not going to put up with that. We're going to do something about that. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Jesus said, go and be the voice of more in people's lives, including teenagers who 
are in a whole culture that tells them less, 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 less. We're going to be the voice of more. And so a bunch of people volunteer to give a little bit of their time to mentor. We developed the program ourselves, Sam Lesky and his team. And so um, uh, Tamilix and, and Melissa do that. And you know what? The graduation rate's going up. In fact, those who are in the E3 mentoring program, I think it's north of 85% are graduating. How do you think that's a good thing? That's the voice of more. That's the voice of more. That's going and making disciples. Now, they serve every Sunday with the kids. They head up the communion ministry at the Dream Center. He coaches football and baseball at North, uh, North Charleston High School. And in their spare time, they lead a small group. Now, they're a little bit of overachievers. Jim and Martha Welburn, I think of them when I think of the voice of more. They go to this campus here. I met them when I was, um, we, went to, we went to Israel together and had a great time. And uh, they're adopt-a-block leaders. They adopt a block in North Charleston. And they don't just adopt a block once a month. They decided, what if we did a small group in the uh, Ferndale community there? They don't live there. But they go over there every week. They get the the van from the Dream Center, and they pick up people to come to the small group, and they invest in them. And they become the voice of more in a community that hears all of the time about less and how you'll never get out. See, these are normal, ordinary people who are listening to the command of Jesus and saying, I'm going to be the voice of more. You are crucial you are critical to the strategy of Jesus. What if each one of us dedicated ourselves to disciple making, to being the voice of more, to teaching others to hear the voice of more? Do you think that would make a difference? I think it would. You were made for more. You were made to submit to the authority of Jesus. You were made to participate in the strategy of Jesus. And there's one more thing I think Jesus says to us in his last words, and that's this. You were made to stand on the promises of Jesus. Here's what he said. Here's the last thing he says. Last words on earth. Be sure of this. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. Would you circle be sure of this? Here's what I think that means. Jesus knew that if you made a decision to come under the authority of the voice of more, and I'm going to listen to the voice of more, not the voice of less, and if you said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my marching orders and I'm going to go and I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to become a voice of more in other people's lives and I'm going to help them to hear the voice of the Father. That's what it means to be a disciple maker. Jesus knew that if you did that, there were going to be times when the, voice, when the voices of less are going to be so loud it's going to sound like a choir. You're going to be tempted to forget what I've told you. I think he's saying that there would be times of loneliness, times when you were frustrated, times when opposition seemed almost to crush you and overwhelm you. And you may wonder if I even care or if I'm real if, or if I'm really around. In those moments, I want you to stand on my promise. I want you to stand on my word. You can be sure of this. I am with you always even to the end of the world. See, honestly, it's easy to hear the voice of more when things are going well. When the family's doing good, when the finances are doing great, kids are doing good in school, all that kind of stuff. It's easy to hear the voice of more. 
It's when things aren't going well that it's tough. There will be times when the kids don't listen. Anybody have a testimony on that? There will be times when there's too much month at the end of the paycheck, when the bills are, are piling up, when friends act like enemies instead of friends, when old habits seem to never die. And it's in times like that we need to stand firm on the promise of Jesus. Isaiah 49 says this, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. See, in times like that, you need to hope. You need to cry out like the psalmist does in, in Psalm 119.49 when he says, remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. See, there are times you need to hold it up to God. You need to remember God's promise to you. What has God promised you? Well, the first one is that he would never leave you or forsake you. Be sure of this. I will be with you. My son Joshua was telling me um, about something that happened to them the other day. I think he and Lisa were in the car with their, their two kids, Miles 5, Greta Kate 3, and uh, apparently Josh had misplaced his car. Have you ever misplaced a car? He had misplaced his car. And he thought he had left it at the parking lot here at the church, and they're driving through the parking lot, and there's no car. And so he finally says, kids are going, what are we doing, Daddy? And he said, well, I think we're lost. To which his three-year-old says, Silly daddy, we're not lost because you're with us. Oh, and in those moments when you feel lost, some of you have felt lost this week. Some of you have been through a season of feeling lost. Silly you. Jesus said this, be sure of this, I will be with you always. Always. You need to stand on the promises of God. What else has he promised you? If he's told you that he will reclaim a wayward child, you can be sure of this. When the voices of less say it'll never happen, you need to know it's going to happen. If he's told you that he'll meet a financial need, and when the voices of no and the voices of less say it'll never happen, you need to be sure of this. It's going to happen. If he told you that you are going to be successful in what you do. When the voices of less say no, you need to be sure of this. It's going to happen. If he's told you that he will break a stronghold in your life, and when the voices of no are crying out that's crazy, you need to be sure of this. It's going to happen. It may not be on your timetable, and it may not be the way that you envisioned it, but it will be perfect when it happens. See, God is not human. According to Numbers, it said that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I love 2 Corinthians 1.18. It says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom we have preached to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. You were made for more. You were made to come under the authority of Jesus and hear the voice of more. You were made to participate in the strategy of Jesus and be the voice of more. You were made to stand on the promises of Jesus when things are tough. So what will it take for you to get to a point where you say, I want more? Usually, 
um, it's, a, it's a critical situation. I, I think about my friend Michael Overcash. Um, he devoted his early life to surfing. Uh, life for him was to catch the next wave wherever it happened to be. He and friends surfed in exotic places all over the world until one day he was searching, surfing in Costa Rica and they had finished their day and they got in their car and they were driving along and there was a, there was a, um, a traffic jam. It, they, they had to stop and they were carjacked. Somebody came into the, both windows and put guns to their head, pulled them out of their car. And uh, tied them up, beat them severely, pistol whipped them, and took them uh, to kill them. They didn't even know why. Took them to a deserted beach, middle of the night, and uh, their captors were arguing about who should take the shot. Finally, one of the guys said, I will. They dragged him, tied, hog-tied out to the beach. Guy pulled him up, put a gun to his head, and pulled the trigger. Click. Nothing happened. So he cocked it and pulled it again. Click. Nothing happened. At that point, his captor ran off. And they left. He and his friend were left there on the beach, shivering in fright and uh, also feeling very, very grateful for where they were at that point. They untied themselves. And when they escaped, they figured out that God had more in mind for them. How do you think you'd probably come to that conclusion? Someone invited him. Not long after that, on a medical mission trip, he wasn't in medicine. He went on a medical mission trip, and he, as he did, he experienced the, the smile of God in what he did. He decided he was going to devote himself not only to medicine, he got his degrees in medicine, but to being the voice of more to those who can't help themselves. And now he leads our medical missions initiatives at Seacoast when so many medical people go all over the world, all over the world and make a difference. See, often it takes an event for us to make significant change. For some of us, that event was a negative event. When we've had a moment of hurt in our life where a lie entered causing us to live for less, you're not good enough. You won't amount to anything. You just don't measure up. Well, see, it takes another event to reverse the course of your life. And here's what I hope. I hope this service is that event. I hope this message is that event for you. I hope the reality of Easter, when God took something that everybody looked at and said, it's over, and he brought the dawning of a new day. Well, I hope for you today, there's a dawning of a new day. You were meant for more. How many of you would like to live a life of more? How many of you would? Just raise your hand. How many of you would like to live a life of more? Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this wonderful group of people who've gathered in this place and in other auditoriums around our city and state. And God, I pray that you would just, your kingdom would come and your will would be done, that we would hear the voice of more tonight. And God, I ask that in the, in the, the name that is above all other names. In the name of Jesus, amen.